The medal set aims to foster hope, compassion, bravery, and inclusivity through narratives of sports and athletes from the Middle East and beyond. Now, more than ever, we feel these diverse, dynamic voices from the region need to be shared, heard, and understood. With that in mind, we're resuming our regular episodes today, even as we continue to stand for unity, understanding, and peace, and keep Palestine in our thoughts, our hearts, and our hopes for the future. I was like in a meeting with the um, with first Omani man who climbed Everest. I was writing his story for students because I'm working Minister of Education. So we were looking for some inspiring stories for our kids in school. So to be more motivated, not to be negative, that not to work hard for themselves, to do something for country. So we picked some Omanis, they did achievements for Oman and he was one of them, Khalid. Then we met in coffee shop and I start like, you know, asking him and recording with his answers to, to write the stories. And end of the meeting, the first meeting with him, I told him, I want to climb Everest too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how it started at the same moment. But with that time, you know, I felt this is, I don't know how, subhanAllah, يعني, I felt this is something for me. This is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultracyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. When we sat down with Nadhira Alharthi for this episode, we knew that we were going to discuss her journey to become the first Omani woman to summit Mount Everest. We also knew we'd discuss how she became the first Arab woman to climb Amadablam, one of the most beautiful and technical peaks in Nepal. What we didn't know, and as she announced on our show, is that she has become the first ever civilian woman to be embedded with Oman's military mountaineering team, where she's learning techniques to cope with treacherous terrains. At the time of release of this episode, her training had just begun, and she expects this to be one of the biggest challenges yet. We're pretty sure that we were the first to hear about this. And now you are too. In this episode, you'll also hear how Nahira started mountaineering at the age of 42, inspired by her late mentor, Khalid Al-Siabi, the first Omani to summit Everest. We'll chat through her childhood in remote Oman, how she came to find ultra running, having not even run 10 kilometers before, and how all of this has led to a deep appreciation for the outdoors and how it has become a catalyst for her personal growth and achievement. This is a heartwarming, inspiring, fun and funny chat that we know you love as much as we did. As always, please take a look at our show notes to find Nadira online. And don't forget to subscribe, like and leave a review. Enjoy. Nadira, welcome to the show. It's so amazing to have you. We are celebrating one year of the podcast and our representation from the region is growing. Representation of women athletes in the region is growing. And we're so excited to have you. The first Omani on our on our uh, show, isn't it, Don? Yes, yes. And I'm so excited because I was just saying before, I've got a really deep affinity for Oman and for Omani people. So we're so excited to chat with you today. First, I guess we wanted to ask how you're doing. 
<laughs> Thank you. I'm fine. And I'm happy to be with you tonight here and to be the first Armenian on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's well, nice. <laughs> yeah. we, we'll take well, first to be on the medal set and you have a lot of other firsts to first, your name yeah. as well. <laughs> Before we get into your climbing career and how you got into climbing, I wanted to bring up something. You're also the deputy general director of the National Organization for Scouts and Guides in Oman. And so this must be a very busy period for you now that we're moving yeah, into winter. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm working in Ministry of Education. So the um, uh, Scouts and Guides, they are under the Ministry of Education. So it's uh, it's my job. That's uh, And actually, I moved like maybe three, three after Everest. I think uh, Her Excellency, she I think she saw that I can help uh, more with this organization and especially working with the girls and, you know, inspire them, encourage them to do you know, more for themselves and for women. Yeah, but I think... I was also on uh, as a as a as a guide or yeah with the scouts maybe when I was in elementary school yeah and I'm back now <laughs> with them. Is that something that's compulsory for kids in school to be in in scouts and guides? Yes, it's one of the activities at the school. So they can choose. You know, there is many activities they can uh, choose to be to join them as a as a team, as a band, or uh, you know, to do something with the curriculums. So it's uh, it's one of them uh, at the school, and I'm happy that it's especially the kids from grade one to grade four. This activity to be with the scouts and guides is very attractive for them. Uh, also, I think because of the uniform and the you know what they are wearing it's uh, yeah they love it and they love working with the community yeah and they keep many of them they keep moving with this uh, movement uh, with the scouts and they love it and uh, we have everybody around i think more than 30000 wow. in Oman they are on this movement yeah wow. with with all different ages Wow. When I was young, we had, I think it was separate. There were boys and girls were separate at that stage. So the boys had scouts, but we had brownies <laughs> and yeah. uh, girl guides. And yeah. mm -hmm. I can safely say, I don't think we had great guides, like in terms of the older girls that were helping us and women. But I don't know that we had any mountaineers that had uh, climbed Everest. <laughs> so I think that must be an amazing experience for the scouts to learn from you and your experience as well. So that's, that's great. I like the concept of scouts and guides because there's so many life lessons and life skills that you learn when you're right. part of the scouts or the guides community. And I also read like very recently that 1,500 volunteers from the organization actually helped at the World Cup in Qatar. And exactly. that was very interesting for me because you're not only doing things in Oman, but you're actually doing things and in sports outside in the region. So it's it's yeah. a very interesting concept for me to kind of give this opportunity to young people to explore other things mm. within sports as well. So like, you know, going sports management and things like that. So it's very interesting. Yes, right. We've been in Qatar for two times for the Asian uh, World Cup, I think, and also for the World Cup. And because I think we are more organized as a volunteer, we have volunteers, so they are more organized. They know how to work as a volunteers in everywhere. 
also during the COVID, you know, they worked very hard uh, with everybody, even Ministry of Health and many organizations. So they've been in everywhere. Uh, and I, sh I think they, uh, they did what they have to do, their, their exact uh, work and what they learned through all this movement uh, in scouts or, or guides. So yeah, they've been there. Yeah. I just love that. You mentioned you were involved in Scouts as a young girl as well. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, was the seed planted to start climbing mountains through guiding as a young girl or what other sports did you do? Actually, I don't I don't think that it's related to each other because in, in my region, you know, when as a girls in, you know, I was like in, the, in my hometown in the village. So we didn't do anything outdoor, even if we are scouts or, you know, like uh, everything or activities, it was inside the school. It just now we are doing activities outdoor. We are like, you know, they are working really as a scout, you know, but it's not related to, to each other because, and I never been in any sport. I mean, uh, before, before Everest, actually, I was just going to gym just to like everybody, just to be in good shape, just to do like, uh, like in a good weight for myself, good health. That's it. But, uh, when I decided to climb Everest, I started to learn how to hike. That wow. makes it even more <laughs> amazing to hear. You know? Honestly, that is so amazing. <laughs> Looking at the Middle East, so we're cyclists here, and we've got a couple of mountains in the UAE, Jebel uh, Jace and Jebel Hafid. But visiting Oman, the mountain range, the Hajar mountain range is just amazing. And Jebel Shams is actually the second mountain I have ever climbed up on a bike. <laughs> and if, if anyone knows Jebel Shams, it is a very difficult climb. I think I walked probably the majority of It's a mountain, mountain and a half. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just so steep. But it's really breathtaking. When I think when people think of mm. the Middle East and think of the GCC, they don't necessarily think of these landscapes. Do you have any memories? Did these mountains ever feature in your childhood and family outings? Or did you start to start hiking them as an adult when you decided to climb Everest? As a sport, you know, when we were kids, we don't have even that concept of hiking. It was mm -hmm. like not in our like, you know, community, not in our, you know, our daily, you know, uh, sport. Even girls, we don't have like a proper sport we are going for. It just everything is happening in a school, but nothing out, uh, out of school. Even after college, even when I was, uh, I was a teacher, like uh, I never did any sports out of gym. I mean, indoor mm -hmm. till I decided to go to, to Everest. So when I started training for Everest, like I was like completely, like I started from scratch. I don't know anything, how to train, how to do all this stuff. Even when I go, like I started to go to run outside, outdoor, I was like feeling a bit, you know, not comfortable. I was like, uh, you know, thinking a lot what I should wear, what I shouldn't wear, where I should run, you know, all this stuff, it was like challenging me. But still until now, I told the girls like, and they are facing the same what I saw, like I told them this is a challenge, yes, for us, but it doesn't mean to stop there. There is many, many hundreds way to just jump through this challenge. Just go to buy any, wear any stuff, wear any hijab, 
do anything. Even if you have to run with your abaya, just do it. Grab your lighter abaya and just write, run with the, with that. So, um, yeah, there is many challenges, but uh, that's what makes things, I think. Um, Exciting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it will be easy. So it's like, uh, I don't think it will attract, uh, it will not be like attractive for us. But I'm yeah. sure they see you do it in your hijab and you go out and you run. And I think I'm pretty sure that that's what kind of motivates and encourages them as well to do it. Right. Because they see you, they probably yes. see you some now as a role them, model. Yeah. Some of them, yes. Especially who, who they are leaving in a, you know, a small community, just like, you know, looking for the other girls are around them. But I see today many, many other athletes, uh, like women, like with the hijab and they are doing great and they are climbing also mountains or doing any, any other sport. So I can like say my hijab, it's never been a challenge for me. Mm. You say you didn't do a lot of outdoor, <laughs> but you found some love in outdoor because you went on to study geography. <laughs> How did yeah. that happen? Because now you have this love for the outdoors. So how did that happen for you? Yes, I studied geography, even in my bachelor and master degree. It's all about geography and it's all about like something around mountains and wadi and all this stuff. But I never thought that I will be there for like as a sport or something <laughs> I love. Never, ever, you know. But what happened like uh, in 2017, it's just to change everything in my life. And I, I don't know, it's like things there is like, a, it was like destiny for me. It was waiting me, especially at this time of this year. So what interested you in the subject in kind of looking into, you know, terrains and mountains and rocks and just everything outdoor, really? It was like... Um, I don't know if, if you heard about it. Like uh, I was like in a meeting with the uh, with first Omani man who climbed Everest. I was writing his story uh, for students because I'm working Minister of Education. So we were looking for some inspiring stories for our kids in school. So to give them to be more motivated, not to be negative, like not to work hard for themselves, to do something for country. So we picked some Omanis, they did achievements for Oman and it was, uh, uh, he, he was one of them, Khalid. So I asked for his phone number and I, I met him with one other friend and we met in coffee shop and I start like, you know, asking him and recording with his answers to, to write the stories. And end of the, of the meeting, the first meeting with him, I told him, I want to climb Everest too. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how it started at the same, at the same moment. But with that time, you know, I felt this is, I don't know how subhanAllah, يعني, I felt this is something for me. This is like, uh, when he was talking, he was, he was very quiet person. He was like, you know, talking very, يعني, he was not like, like me now, very excited. And, you know, like, he was like very calm, very, and I said, I want to climb. So I thought, I thought it will be easy if he did it. So I can, I can do it. يعني. I don't know what <laughs> was waiting that. for me. Wallah. And then, then I suffered. And I said, oh my God, what I did for myself. <laughs> And I think, uh, and you know what he said? He said, yes, you can. When he said, yes, you can. I said, okay, that's nice because I'm going to gym like, you know, every day. <laughs> and then 
when I came back and I, I, I posted in my Instagram his photo at the same day, I, I posted his photo on the summit and I wrote about the, the meeting with him and I wrote that Khaled, uh, like what his personality and what he did. And uh, and then I, I write like I remember still there and in in like hashtag, I write my name like what, what they call me at home, Nana, not Nadira before my, yeah. my Instagram being in public. <laughs> so I write, Nana will climb Everest, like, wh- like why not? You know, that's, it was the same night and, um, and my sister, she replied to the post and she said, why not? And uh, <laughs> after a week, I text Khaled a message and I told him, I am serious, I want to climb Everest because everything <laughs> is stuck in my head and I start to see myself on the summit and everything. <laughs> then he said, okay, Let's see your training. And he, and he said, I told him, I'm going to gym every day. You know, I want to show him how I'm strong, strong I am. And he said, this is something different. That's let's, not enough. Let's see, how you, <laughs> let's see how you are serious. And from that day, halas, I stuck with the mountains and with the, all this running and all the races and everywhere and all this drama. <laughs> I, I yeah, I'm good drama. drama. <laughs> yes, good drama. I absolutely love that. Yeah. People making a decision, not really knowing I'm going to do it. And your sister going, why not? <laughs> why not? I love, yeah. love, love that. So you made this decision. Khaled is supposed to be uh, inspiring the kids, but you got a dose of the inspiration. You show him what you're doing for training. What happens then? Like you've made the decision. What do you actually do oh then? <laughs> it was very, Yani, I never been that person who, you know, to decide something big, very big, and just to stick with the decision and continue, you know, training and doing something totally uncomfortable, totally. It's not in my family. Nobody in my family, they are in a sport, they are doing we kept as a family, we go for camping, but just by car. We are moving from the car to the tent and from the tent to the to the car. We are not doing hiking, nothing. But like doing hiking and being in a group, you know, with people, I don't know them to do a hike, just, you know, all this stuff, it was totally uncomfortable. But like, I keep moving, I keep moving. I was not thinking that much, you know, about all these challenges as as was important for me just to keep improve my, my, my abilities, to keep just being fit more, to being ready for Everest. That was, was in, in my mind. So yeah, I, I did my first race in the trail. It wasn't the far. I saw there is an, um, someone they posted on Instagram and there is like a tough race on, on, on the far Salala. It will be for 50 K and I never even <laughs> run maybe 10 K. <laughs> And I signed up for that. And uh, yeah, and I took the third place on that race for oh, with wow, that. <laughs> I awesome. love this. I love this. I think, yeah, my You built for sports, you just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, I think when we believe in something, it just still will, it will take us. It doesn't need to. You know, now I'm thinking a lot, if I'll do race, like now I'm preparing for a race in, in November and another one in January. And now what I'm doing, what, how I'm preparing for the races is totally different. It's more like serious. I'm mm-hmm. more like doing things like, you know, 
the nutrition and the schedule and but before that i was like i don't know how i was just going with the flu i was just <laughs> looking and you know it was it was a crazy and but alhamdulillah yani i did it alhamdulillah <laughs> so your training involved a lot of running as you yeah. mentioned trail running unfortunately uh, but of course you're also looking to train for altitude what was that like what mountains were you climbing were you only climbing in oman or were you looking at other mountains in the region what was that sort of training like for you at this time you mean i mean normally or before, before everest uh, when when you had decided that you wanted to do everest um because my coach he was the same person khalid the one he inspired me so he was like advising me that the running running is the best thing to improve my stamina so mm-hmm. which something i hate i told him i'm going to climb i'm not going to run like why why i should run <laughs> and my first run on the treadmill it was the longest distance was 4k 4k only on the on the treadmill on the gym yeah. When I finished I went to the coach there and I told her I ran for 4k she said okay good for you like, oh, what <laughs> Well and it's end up it's end up that I ran for um, I ran the first race on, for 50k in uh, in a trail in a mountain and then I ran for uh, for 100k mm-hmm. and that was like uh, alone on the streets i start at the four morning it was totally dark i think it took me i think around 11 hours and i don't have anyone to support me i was like stop and buying water from the shop very fast and continue running and like nobody and keep the taxis and everybody taxi they are peeping me on the street mm. and even police at the you know it was it was dark and they like are you okay like what's happening i'm i'm running alone <laughs> i said yes i'm fine <laughs> so that's why i was like running all the way everywhere i was like chasing the races in oman also in uh, emirates like uh, i was looking i was like throwing myself in everything difficult mm-hmm. just to feel that i'm good enough for everest i'm ready enough for for everest it was hard i can now see that this was not the right way to do you know what i was doing now i have enough knowledge to know how to prepare for the races what what i should do but at that time i was happy i was yeah. very happy that i have dream and i wake up every day just prepare myself what i will do today where i will go and even if it's summer very hot if it's winter i'm just going and do hiking and <laughs> do what i have to do for uh, for everest i think there's something very special about the first time you start to take on a big goal because you don't really know right you just put yourself yeah. out there and you have no benchmark to understand where you are where you're at like with your running or anything so you just try and you do amazing you know i love 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 that what was the time frame between deciding you're going to do everest and then doing it and actually climbing it how long did it take this um, this whole process around, around two years i two i years. decided in the summer of 2017 mm-hmm. and i climbed on uh, on may 2019 mm-hmm. yani, yes almost and all my training it was in oman only i went to himalaya in 2018 i attempted uh, mount amadablam 
And I was just far 300 meters from the summit, but I got uh, sick, uh, altitude sickness, and I went back. And that was my first ever, you know, climbing in the snow and even wearing, you know, the down suit, wearing the boot, wearing crampons. And I remember I wear my first ever when I wear crampons on my boot. It was on Camp 2 on Amadablam. And that's crazy because Amadablam, it's something huge. It's, you know, it's a very technical mountain. Mm. So many people, they go to Amadablam after Everest because it's very technical. It's not, it's not an easy mountain. But when I pick Amadablam to climb it, I was looking for something very tough, very hard because that's, I saw that it will prepare me also for, for Everest. So it was part of my crazy plan to climb, (laughs) to climb Everest. So, um, yeah, so I didn't summit when I came back. Uh, also, I saw that I fell. I didn't do it. I said, if I cannot climb Amadablam, which is 6,800 meter, how I climb Everest, which is the highest in the world. So I started to train more like, like officially and to prepare myself and to do things, you know, more in proper way and uh, training more like uh, harder than before and doing long distance and suffering more and more with the training. <laughs> How many hours a week did you train? I don't know. I cannot uh, count it, but I was like training every day. Mostly I have one day rest. And during the weekday, I have like trained from one hour and a half to two hours. And during the weekend, of course, I take very long distance in the hiking or going to canyoning or very sometimes maybe sleep over there and continue the next day. So, uh, yeah, I was like, I was giving, I think I was training by my heart, not not mm. thinking about my body. I think that. Mm. One of the prerequisites for climbing Everest is climbing a mountain over six 6,500, correct? Mm. So were you able to use that Amadablam experience as the prerequisite? And what other prerequisites did you have? Nothing. Nothing. It was fine to just to go, you can just climb. Actually, Everest is my first peak. Hmm. Wow. Yes. Maybe Jabal <laughs> Shem first one. Jabal you, um, you really do love hard Jebel things. Shem. Yeah. I read as well somewhere that you... You did Mount Kilimanjaro. Did you do that before Everest? Mount Kilimanjaro, it was like um, we went there as a as a mission from the Ministry of Education with the students. And also we didn't uh, we didn't submit me and most of the kids. It was a program to collecting that data, scientific data through the climbs. Uh, but also, unfortunately, most of them, they got tired, sick from the, the altitude. So we didn't, uh, we didn't summit, but that was yes, before, before Everest. These climbs yeah. that you've done before the Everest, when you did these climbs, you, you know, you came down from Amadablam and we will talk a little bit about that because then you went on to become the first Arab to do, to do it. L- yeah. I, I went back in, t- in 2021. But like, what were the lessons that you learned from those climbs? Because you didn't summit them, which you then implemented in Everest. So what did you tweak or change or bring back with you as lessons from those climbs that you then said, okay, you know, maybe I should tweak this a little bit and get better Mm -hmm. at that so that I can climb Everest better? 
uh, actually for Kilimanjaro, I cannot count it as something for myself because I was responsible about the kids and teachers and it was a mission for the ministry. So it was not about myself, but I felt when I was there, when I saw the mountain, when I saw the peak and we were like going every day, it was like, I felt that it's something I love it. You know, I love the feeling being there in the mountain, feeling that how you can feel weak and you can feel strong at the same day in very like very amazing way you know it's give you i think mountains is give you the feelings you need you know just to keep us humble and to keep us you know kind yeah. and then after that i didn't do anything i i felt that's just a mission and we didn't do anything after after uh, after kilimanjaro but then when i went to amadablam and i didn't summit i felt that i need um, at the beginning, I felt very down. I felt I'm not ready for Everest. Everest, maybe it's not for me because there were some other climbers there and how they were talking about how they prepared for Amadablam, what other mountains they climbed and what they did. And some of them, they were like, I think from army, Australian army. And I saw how they carrying that big, heavy, backpack and I was like looking at them and I thought oh my god what like what I'm doing here yani it's like I'm not ready at all yani for this but I learned that still alhamdulillah I never felt that I want to give up Everest no I came back to Oman and I was training more and more and give more hours uh, on my training and I was talking more with my coach Khalid and um I was like watching more documentaries, reading about mountains. And I think the lesson that how I cannot feel that I, de I deserve Everest, even if I train all day and night, if it's not proper training, it should be proper training till I feel like, and it should give everything I have. Like, it's not just my body, also my mind, uh, how I should focus on this, how I should, uh, you know, make my plan and everything so after that i can feel that i deserve everest but it's just because i'm being outdoor like every time every weekend it's not uh it's not enough so yeah that's there were many lessons still like still till now i can like think about going back there with the memories i thinking oh, it's any it was something it was hard yeah it was hard I can relate because uh, I can relate a little bit, not to Everest, obviously, but just being in the mountains, because as Dawn mentioned to you earlier on that I did Kilimanjaro and I think I did that in 2019. And it, it makes you feel, I won't say insignificant, but like just the, the magnitude of it when you're standing at the summit, you know, you feel small, you feel small and it humbles you, like you said, absolutely. With Everest as well, it's a physical, mental challenge. It's, it's, it's a challenge that is as mental as it is physical. What do you remember from that experience? And when you summited, what was the first thing you did? On the summit, I remember like, we had like uh, our friend Ilya, Ilya Saikili, he's a photographer. So he was like filming us and it was in, in, a, in a good way. He gathered us like four Arab girls. They are climbing Everest together. So he always like Nadira show, like he asked me 
emotions nadira like other girls they keep crying or you know and i'm always like nothing <laughs> oh my interviews is like no emotions and the summit i was like a bit crying and reza he said finally there is tears <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i really felt how even how you are your we are small and we dreaming big it could it could happen i felt that because when i decided to go to go to everest i was like nothing in a sport it was nothing in in a climbing in, in mountains i don't have anything no any knowledge no any experience on this and i just decided to do that so i felt everybody who they will do same they can they can do it if they'll just work hard they will even if they will fail they'll stand up they'll continue they will stand for their for their dreams like what they want and they can it could happen so i saw that's like nothing possible we can we can do what we want yeah when when we will work hard like working hard i want to ask a question you mentioned when you were climbing amadavlam you've seen all the other climbers people from the australian army looking very serious When you were at Everest base camp, did you feel like you belonged there at that point after all the hard work you had done? It was also on Everest because we were a big team, very big team. I don't know any of them, nobody at all, only Ilya, the photographer because we we were talking on Instagram before I got to there. But even the Arab girls, I I don't know them. I start just talking them on Instagram before maybe one month to go because I knew <laughs> that they will be there. <laughs> But it's like uh, I felt yes, I'm I'm stranger there, and I felt that uh, they 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 were talking about also their experience. They were counting the mountains they climbed and. Uh, even they were talking about the seven summit and it was like oh my god what's that <laughs> and i tried not to involve in all that you know discussions and uh, you know what they were saying because i start to compare myself with them mm. and to compare my experience with them and i felt bad you know it's like it's same what what was in amadablam but in big way and i and i and i was in everest like this is where i i need to focus in myself and i remember when i was talking with my mentor my friend Khaled Siabi i told him and said you are there not to making friends you are there just to focus and to do you have you have a mission and you have to do it you can make friends you can be with the people but later on just focus on yourself and he told me just be a friend for yourself it's not necessary to be a friend with others at that time mm-hmm. and um, Yes, I did that when when they start like talking about anything and I feel like bad about myself in any conversation, I just left the tent and I go to my my tent and stay alone there so I can like uh, just keeping my good there is good energy just uh, with them. But after that, with the time because we lived there for two months, we we getting to know more each other, we and now like uh, we climbed again and again especially me and Nilly we climbed together uh, K2 and recently we've been in Switzerland so uh, yeah so i saw how important to have a friends there mm. but uh, yeah in we we need a balance for that i just want to ask um you've made so many friends on the mountain and that's what sports does for you right like you just 
find your tribe, you find your community. Meanwhile, at home, you're away f- for two months <laughs> from home. What is it like for your family? What were their thoughts for anyone who's looking from the outside? It's challenging for you, yes, but it's dangerous. It seems dangerous for them. So what were their thoughts and how were they supporting you or what was their <laughs> their reaction? Actually, I didn't. I told my family I'm going to Everest only before two months. So, yeah. <laughs> so the whole the whole two years before Everest, like two, from 2017, they saw that. I started doing like different stuff, different than before. It started do and and they they don't know what's 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 the what's the target from all of this. They thought just I want to be in sport and but I kept like not I didn't tell anybody. It was a secret between me and uh, and Khalid. So, uh, yeah, and I saw that it was good. I think it was good. It was, it, it, it's bad in somehow that I cannot tell my, 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 my family, my secret and my, my passion and what, what I'm looking for. And somehow it's not good, but also in other way, it was good. It's gave me strength. I don't know how, but it was, I was strong by myself, not by others. Because normally we are looking every, every time we are looking for a friend to talk, for a sister, for somebody to give us that good feeling and to continue going with what we want. But I did that by myself and I, I mm-hmm. saw that it's, uh, it's not bad. Yeah. So when, when I told them that I'm going to Everest and I booked my ticket and everything, it was like done. It was like boom in my family. <laughs> it was hard and I cannot blame them. Like, you know, it's, it's something serious. And so, um, they didn't accept it at the, at the beginning, but, uh, you know, it was two months. So I have to work very fast to convince them to, especially with my mother, she was like very concerned, very, she was very worried and she was just thinking what will happen to me. So I start to talk to her tell her I'm going with Arab girls. I'm going with a good company. I'm going to do, you know, to, to make her feel good. And I promise her that I will call her every day. That's, it was like the promise between me and her. And really I was like, I was, I talked to her every day, whatever money I spent, but it was very necessary to feel that she's fine. And also it was for me and for her. <laughs> At no level is my experience uh, climbing Everest, but I understand not telling many people because, especially parents, <laughs> which I don't tell anyone, any parents that what I'm doing about my races, because they worry. They worry yeah. for you. And I feel like that can infect your mind. <laughs> you know, the worry comes on yeah, to you that sometimes. That can be pressure sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all good natured, but like you said, removing yourself, focusing, sometimes it's needed to keep yourself safe and happy and with your eyes on the goal. When you reach the summit, I know Afshan asked you about reaching the summit and you were there and the experience and the emotion came out. When you brought out the Omani flag then as the first woman, <laughs> did you realize then kind of what a moment this was for not only for you, but for your country? At that time, I felt that it was something personal. Till at that moment, I felt it's still because, you know, I was, I left Amman, nobody knows, you know, and I didn't allow 
there is some people they start to know because uh, we, you know, posting on Instagram and social media. So there is an immediate, they called me, they want to interview me and I didn't allow them at all. I told them if you will did any article about me, I will suit you because I don't want anybody <laughs> to write anything until I finish all this, you know, and going up and summit and come back again. So I refused to do any interview mm. because they said, this is achievement. Even if you are at the base camp, I told them, no, this is not achievement. The achievement, it will be completed till finish all everything. So when I'm at the summit, I don't know. I didn't, it's not that complete feelings about what I did, but I felt يعني, relief that I did it. Alhamdulillah, يعني, nothing. I was not injured. I was like not sick, everything fine. I can go just to camp four and just, uh, you know, talking with my family with the satellite phone. I summited, I did this. So this was what is, what is in my mind. But after that, I saw that it's in everywhere in Oman, in a Twitter and in Instagram, people, they talking like <laughs> Nadir Al-Harthi and they don't know who's Nadir Al-Harthi even. I, I was not in, you know, in an athlete, you know, in Oman, nobody knows me. So uh, it starts, and then I saw, oh my God, this is like something big, يعني, something, you know, people, they, they appreciate it, most of them. And there is in a very good, they are playing in a very good way. They are encouraging me. They are, you know, they are happy for me, proud of me. And then, you know, it's like, uh, I start when we're going down and getting internet. I was showing <laughs> how it's, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was good, in good way, alhamdulillah. Did you allow that media, that journalist then to write that story? <laughs> then. Yeah. And he asked me, he said, okay, promise me that I will get, you know, the first article about you. It, was, it will be for me. I told him, I told him, okay. You are also a speaker. Like you talk about your experience to inspire others and encourage others into like sports and outdoor activities. From that experience, from summiting Everest, do you remember anything that a challenge or an obstacle that you faced or a situation, a pleasant one or a scary one that you faced that shaped your thought process a little bit, your mindset a little bit and a lesson that you now share with others as well? I think it's not just like one situation. It's the whole journey since I decided how the way I decide to climb Everest the way I trained for Everest and then I climbed and after that I continued climbing mountains because in total I think in every mountain I've been I saw someone dying there or a dead body so I learned a lot like from that and also I saw how people they are like just like me they are happy they are waiting to summit and then I saw their bodies there like it's mm. uh, because what we are doing is it's really serious it's really it's not something easy so I should take it also very seriously I couldn't like just do this when I'm not aware about it when I'm not just joking or just trying to do it no it's uh, I'm thinking also about my family. It's not just about myself. It's it's very important. And I'm thinking that I want to keep doing this. I want to keep learning from this. Because I saw also at the same way now, it's the way how I started. I think I saw people now they are like, I cannot judge them. The way I started, it was not, I don't have the fully experience for Everest. Mm -hmm. I succeed by maybe hard work. I did the hard work the one I should do, 
But when I saw now someone training for Everest, like, I think they have like to take it very seriously more than what, uh, mm-hmm. what I did, even in mental and in knowledge way, like, because when I climbed Everest, it's my first peak. It's not a joke, you know, it's, this is something, it, yes, it's very important. So, uh, yeah, I am always looking to have more knowledge about mountains till until now I'm looking to be more professional. And what I'm doing, I'm looking to go for more courses also to learn about not just to go and climb mountain and come back down. No. And inshallah, now I'll go for a course for eight weeks. It will be hard. <laughs> so, Tell us a little uh, bit yeah. about that. Yeah, it will be here in Oman. It will be very long, eight weeks. So uh, yeah, and um, instead of going to climb, because normally every year I take my vacation to climb big mountain. But this year I choose to climb in Switzerland, which take less time. Like we took, I think, only one, one week. And it's a good experience. So my long vacation, I prefer to do a training. So I'm going for a training. So it will be, inshallah, this course, it will certify me to be a trainer in adventure. So um, now I'm trying to balance like uh, the knowledge I have, how also if I think to help people, I should be like fully, I have the fully knowledge about what I'm saying, what uh, I cannot advise anybody. I told them I'm not a coach. Everybody, people, mm-hmm. they come to me, they ask me, I told them I'm not a coach. I can advise you for some th- stuff, but uh, I cannot coaching you doing climbing or running or what, uh, whatever. So inshallah, by this course, and I think we will never stop learning. We can keep learning all the time. And this is very important. That's Absolutely. So you did mention that you are, or Afshan mentioned, I mean, we talked about on the Dublin, the first uh, summit attempt, you did actually then summit and you became the first Arab to summit that mountain. And as you said, it's very technical. Yeah. What was that like when you went back and actually completed that summit that you were so close to finishing the first time? <laughs> yeah. When I left, I never thought that I'll go back again to Amadabla. I said, Khalas, I get the whole experience. I was just three, 300 meter away from the summit. So it's like I summited, yani, almost. Yeah, you did I it. <laughs> yes, so I don't need to go again and do you all to prove anything again. to anyone. Yeah. But after COVID, in end of 2020, on December of 2020, uh, one of my friends, uh, Fahed, he's from Qatar. And also we climbed Everest and K2 together. So he told me that he's going, preparing to go to Amadabla. And it was in winter, like, it's like extremely cold there. Even harder. And he said, he's going to Amadabla, Nadira, let's come, yalla, we'll climb together. And I said, ah, okay, I've been there, it's hard, it's tough. But at that time, I was thinking, I was preparing myself to climb K2. So I need some another experience on technical mountain, tough mountain, so to prepare myself for K2. So I told him, I'm not scared from Amadablam itself, the climb, as I'm scared from the, the, the cold. It would be very, very cold at the winter there. And after COVID, actually, we celebrate the new year of 2021 there. We were there on the base camp and nobody there. We were the only team. We were really? like five climbers with the company. And because, you know, airports and everything was closed still at that time, after COVID, it was not fully open. Nobody at all. Like uh, the route where we were going, you know, crossing the tracking route, it was empty. We were the only people. 
you know, we felt like sad, like everything is closed, shops is closed, houses, hotels, lodges, everything is closed, everything quiet. Even the yaks, the animals there, the, the bells, it was ringing and with the sounds. It's like nothing at all. We've been the only people on the mountain. So yeah, and even that time we didn't know that I'll be first Arab. So the company, they start checking on the, on the data of the Himalayan data. If there is someone climb Amadablam Arab before me. So they said, look, nobody, يعني, still we did insurance. They said, okay, I cannot post that to say I'm first Arab woman because actually we don't know. And then they checked more and more. They said, nobody, even like they have different nationality, but they are originally Arab. But they said like from the names, like no, nobody. So yes, I, uh -huh. I've been there again. And uh, yes, it was nice and it was very long. I took, I think, 18 hours to climb from camp two to the summit and back to camp two. It was very tough night, very wow. windy, mm. tough. It was, yeah, it was hard, very long, very long day, 18 hours. But tough seems to be your middle name because last <laughs> year you did K2. <laughs> and it yeah. feels like you have a very tight-knit climbing community, even in the region, because mm. you told us that you've done climbs with Nelly and Nelly did K2. So hmm. when did you first meet Nelly? Was it before K2 or on K2? And like, were you sharing notes? Because you did mention that you had met her before that yeah. as well. On Everest. We climbed Everest. Okay. We were at the same company. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yes. So I met so, her there. I met her. For, no, first time I met Nelly on the on UAE, on Ajman. There is a race. So I saw her because Nelly, she's like, you can recognize her from everywhere, you know, with her curly hair and, <laughs> you know, her personality. She's very active. So I was like, I was following her on Instagram, but she, she doesn't know me. So I knew that she's preparing for Everest. I was preparing too, but she doesn't know me. She doesn't know. So after that on Everest, I told her, I knew I saw you on, on the race. She said, why you didn't talk to me? I told her, because nobody knows I'm going to Everest. And I still was like, still secret. <laughs> so that's first time I met Nelly. And then I met her in Kathmandu first time. We met each other. And then, so she's like, she's my sister. She's very, she's very nice. She's very kind. I just love her. What she, I love what she's doing. I love the message she's sending through her sport, through her, you know, she's very, very good person. So we she were, was on our podcast, obviously, yeah. and well, she gave us an insight on how her training went and mm -hmm. what she did for her training. Were you guys communicating back then in regards to how training should be going for K2? Yes, yeah, sometime. And I went there and we climbed Jebel Jis together. Okay. And also she came here in, in Oman and we climbed Jebel Shams also together. And we were like sharing, since we know that we are both going to K2, you know, because sometimes till last minute, we don't know. We are preparing, but we are not very sure because of the sponsors and money. So since we decided, both of us, to go there, we start sharing everything. And uh, yeah, and even in K2 at the base camp, we kept like, we are like a neighbors. So all the time, like she's visiting me, I'm visiting her. We're sharing food, we're sharing clothes, snacks and everything. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Nelly has the the Batil dates. <laughs> we yeah. were joking with her about that. Yeah, she's wonderful. We really loved our chat with her. 
So K2, when people kind of think about Everest, how difficult it is, but K2 is a whole different beast. (laughs) Was it a lot more difficult than Everest? As you mentioned, when we do something at the first time, it's totally different than the second time. I think Mm. that's happening to me. And on K2, I was like, it was more tough for me than Everest. And I think it's because of the mountain. And also for myself, I was like more like doing more effort with each step there. It was not easy. And I saw myself, I was like more stronger on Everest than K2. Even that I have more experience, like Everest's first peak. But after Everest, I did Amadablam and then I did Manaslu and then I did K2. So, mm. uh, but even with that, I saw that I'm a bit, I don't know if it's so, but I saw that I'm, I'm not doing, I expect myself to do more on K2 to be more stronger than before because the experience I have, but it's different in each mountain. We cannot mm-hmm. realize how our bodies, it will react with the mountain and with the attitude and with the environment there. So yeah, I completed K2 in very hard, especially the last day was very hard for me. I was like just moving, I think, step by step. Maybe there is a few minutes between one step to another one. Mm. It was totally hard for me. Yeah. And these are massive. Like you said, you have to wait till the very end to see whether a sponsor comes through to help and aid your trips because these are massive financial undertakings, especially Mm -hmm. you need a particular insurance in place before you actually head for these expeditions. What was your experience like finding sponsors and getting someone on board to help support and fund this uh, trip of yours? It still is not easy. And I think because the community here still in uh, Arab countries, even also Oman, still there are not that familiar with the mountains and climbing mountains and the amount it's need to climb one mountain and sometimes they saw this is something personal mm-hmm. you know we are not a team i'm not a national team i'm not going for a competition you know mm-hmm. they love competitions more like if you will go and you will bring a medal and all this stuff you know some people they take it more serious than you are just you decide to go and to climb mountains and come back and Still, it's not that a strong sport in the Gulf or I think in Arab countries, unless you'll find someone very aware, you know, it's like about what you are doing and they will help. And uh, yeah, but uh, I'm just depending on myself just to write the letters and proposals. And, uh, you know, sometimes my nieces, they help me and uh, I keep, you know, using the people I know, my relations in different places. Uh, You know, it helps sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it's not. But the good thing that the Ministry of Sport in Oman, they start to realize, through what we have, the mountains and all the nature and the diversity in Oman, they start to see this is a very strong uh, sport. So through that, they start to support us as a climber, even in Oman or out of uh, of Oman. So yeah, we are now building this uh, a strong, you know, community through government, through private sector to start to build this in Oman and also to send uh, Omanis to other mountains. Yeah. Oman has a really unique proposition for people mm-hmm. uh, to come and visit with the mountains. I bought a mountain bike now. <laughs> 
And I can't wait to ride it in Oman. I'm going to ride here, obviously, but uh, really looking forward to riding it in Oman and just having that experience. Me riding across the country was amazing there. You're a big advocate. You're inspiring me. I, every time I speak to a mountaineer, I leave with some ideas from this, from our podcasts, which, you know, are good. You had the same experience with Khaled, but you, Nelly, Tima, all the mountaineers we speak to is just amazing. And you're really a powerful symbol for Omani women and a new generation, like you said, through scouts who now have a, a role model to look up to as someone who's done this. You mentioned things are changing. Are you seeing more of an outdoor culture for boys and girls in Oman for the new generation? Yes, yes, a lot. And that's it started through COVID. I think it was the the benefits uh, from COVID that people, they cannot travel. They don't have any other options. So it was outdoor. It was the only option for them. So I saw there is a places I was going to train. It was only person there. I go up and down and finish my training and it was the only person there. And now it's crowded. I was like, people, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh my God, kids and Romanis, non-Romanis, like, uh, especially on the weekend, like I saw, like when I saw many cars there, I changed my, my place and I go to train somewhere else. So there is many, and I, what I noticed that this sport is attract girls a lot. They love it. I don't know how and why, but they love it. Do they love challenge themselves more? Do they love like doing something strong to, I don't know, but there is many, many girls, but what I wish I'm looking for to be as a girls, more professional on this sport, just mm -hmm. then we are going you know to spend time or for one time experience or for two times experience to be like if they love it if they saw their self in this sport just to also study more about it to read more to being in a courses to learn and to be more professional so they can depend on themselves on this area so they feeling more confidence mm -hmm. Here though, I have to jump in because you're saying you don't know why all these young Omani girls are now interested, and I think you might be play you a role in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope, inshallah, yani, we always can inspire each other because I saw how I inspired by Khalid, so I saw خلاص, yani, it could happen, yani, maybe I don't know. Maybe they didn't talk to me, but maybe they heard me. They saw any post I posted and they got inspired. And I said, Khalas, this is the goal. This is the main thing. It doesn't matter if I, I know them, if they talk to me. It's not a permission to take from me, but uh, that's what we need, to, uh, the spirit we need with the, between girls. Yeah. Environment is another passion of yours. And I think you work a lot in that area, especially with the youth. In all your expeditions and climbs, what have you seen in terms of respect that mountaineers give to the environment around them? Because we've seen reports on how Mount Everest, for example, is filled with trash from people who go there and climb. So what has your experience been? It's not good because also the day I went down from K2, from the summit, it was, I think, camp two. It was a disaster. When we left the camp, it was good. It was, there is a tent. Even for me, I left some of my luggage, my jackets, stuff there. 
So when I came back down, I will take it with me and go down. So I didn't find anything. It was everything destroyed, the smell there. And I surprised like how this, the good camp, the nice camp, it turned out like in a trash. It was to, like, it was like trash. Everybody, they threw everything. I think maybe there isn't a wind that destroyed the tents. But instead of taking everything from the tents and clean up, they leave it. It was, this is the best way because everybody tired. Everybody came back from the summit. They don't have energy to clean up, to take. Even I told my shirt, but like my stuff, there is a jacket. There is many stuff for me. I kept it there. There is like a holy, like small bag. He said, it's okay. It's fine. We cannot find it. Uh, we cannot find it now because it's need a lot of work to find where is even our tent and where is the stuff. And we cannot blame them because they also, they are tired like us as a, you know, everybody tired, like they don't have enough energy and they cannot go back again there all the way to do the cleanup. So I think it's need, um, it's need a system. There is, mm -hmm. it should be a system, a system there to work, how to work on the mountain, how to do the, for the companies, even for, for the climbers, for everybody, even in, on Everest, like, uh, you can see like trash. I don't know, for years back, tents, they throw tents, they throw oxygen bottles, like everything. And uh, to take everything down, also it's need money, it's need manpower, it's need like, so uh, they should do something, even especially now that everybody want to go to mountains, when climbing, this is mm. worse with the time. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see some measures put into place because it seems Nelly is I recall was mentioning the exact same thing about K2, the smell and just the, you know, yeah. how dirty it was. And when you look at these majestic mountains, mm. that's not what you'd expect at all in an experience it's like actually, that. Actually, I felt the shame, like even mm. shame like that's because some of my stuff is still there. Like, you know, I'm part of this, like I should do something, but you are in a, sometimes in a point, like you cannot do what you have to do. It's like, you mm. know, it's uh, it's need someone, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to express this, but this, uh, I think we all, everybody who climb, they are part of this. Mm -hmm. So everybody, they should do something. It's Some not only by one company or the government or no, everybody going up there, they should do something. Like I mentioned earlier, you do a lot with the youth and to educate them about the environment and, you know, protecting and preserving the environment. You are the country coordinator for the GLOBE program, which is an international program that works with youth on educating them about the environment. So tell us a little bit about, a little more about it and what you do with them and what they're doing in particular in Oman. I was the country coordinator, so okay. I left this position maybe two years oh, okay. back. Yeah. So uh, it's a very, very strong, very, very fun uh, program to work. They are like students. It's like they are trying to build a community between students and scientists and also teachers and bringing students outdoors. So to collecting data about the environment, about hydrology and about the atmosphere, about the soil, different parts of the environment. And then they will enter all this data on the website. 
So each school, they have like a website. It's like they have a huge data at the, at the website. So everybody can use this data to do any research. It's open there for everybody. And that's why we went to Kilimanjaro. It was part right. of this, uh, of this program. It's like, uh, to learn students about environment and science, and they've been working with them. Satellite mission by NASA. So it was very fun to work. And we always told the students, you are a scientist now, as you are collecting this data about environment. So you are scientists, you are part of to bring all this data out, you know, because sometimes they said the satellite missions, they need to accurate the data they are collecting by the data on the ground. So you are yeah. the army on the ground to collect this data so they can compare. It's very globe. I work with the globe, I think, for as a country coordinator for many years, and I love it. I love this program, and it's helped me a lot. I've been in many places uh, in the world because of it, and I met many scientists, teachers, and students and everywhere. I saw them, how they are building research. I saw many students how they are building this research and still until now they are working on this on, on globe but i love them i visit them i talk to them from time to time as uh, i'm you know not formal part of the program now but uh, i love this program and it's helped me a lot it's uh, i've been in kenya i've been in um, i visit lake victoria and it was like a dream for me in kenya to to see lake victoria mm -hmm. something huge and i work with the students in kenya all over Kenya and uh, and Zanzibar and everywhere it was like uh, it's it's very yeah it's very good and strong uh, program your passion for the outdoors really just shines yeah. through i love it I, <laughs> yeah you can see your face light up when you're speaking up, about yeah. these places that you visited yeah. with globe now i'm going to ask something you've said <laughs> you said in passing earlier that you have potentially two ultra running races coming up one this month and i think one in december correct november or one in november, november in january yeah. sorry i got them mixed up <laughs> i feel like you're the type of person for anyone kind of maybe listening that might be something hard for them to do but i think it's just probably natural for you to do it what's next in terms of a big challenge first of all tell us about those races but then also what is next for your do you have a big challenge on the horizon, a big mountain? <laughs> I feel like you've done all the hard ones. <laughs> What's left? I think the big challenge, it will be that the training, the training mm. I'm, I'm going for, it will be the big one because, okay. you know, I'll be outdoor like every day. I'll be like going back again to school, but it's a different type of school. Mm. <laughs> so my classroom, it will be sometimes hiking, canyoning and, uh, it will be very tough and I'm very excited for this training. It will be very special. I don't know if you can announce this now, but what time you will record, you will publish this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, just announce it. Yeah. In, the, Oman, uh, the Omani media no, might be angry it, with us, but that's weeks. fine. In two weeks. So I think it's safe to announce in it. Two <laughs> in two weeks. So I already started it. I will start it on 22nd of October. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it will be with the Omani army. Actually, this training is especially for the army, for military, cool. who they yeah. are working in mountains and preparing army to do their job on mountains. Wow. So I'll be part of the training and I'll be with them. That's why like, I'm feeling like, and I live with yeah. them. I'll stay there with them and everything, you know, with the, with the, <laughs> so will that's you be why the first, 
Nadira, will you be the first or have there been other women who have been embedded with the military they, before? They never trained a civil civilian mm. in this in this training. It's just mm. only for military. They are other civilian. They are not allowed to be on this. But through my job and uh, I got the permission that to be with them and through my experience and my CV in mountain, mm. they allowed me to be part of this training. So that's what I'm excited for now. Yeah, actually not climbing mountains this time is how to prepare for mountains uh, more. Yani, oh, a different yeah. type of challenge. I love that. And those races, which I have a feeling they're going to be pretty like, I'll be like, oh my goodness. <laughs> what are the races that you're going to do? Race, the first one, it will be on 24th of November. It will be, they call it Himem race. It's kind of the trail, a trail run. Yes, because I did the UTMB by Oman in 2018 and then 2019. And in both of them, I didn't finish the race. Mm. <laughs> so it was very, very hard. You know, it was like more than 100 kilometers. So yeah. it's, it's very tough. And you are maybe familiar with Jebel Akhdar and Jebel Shams because we need yes. to, to run through all this in Jebel Akhdar and Jebel yeah. Shams. Oh my gosh. So this so one, good, it will be, yeah. but now I'm not taking the long distance. I'm just, I will be on uh, 55 kilometers. The, the oh, race only. Will be. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's the long yeah. distance for us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's it's long. Allah. Sometimes I said, why I'm doing this? Yani, yeah. I, I don't know because I don't like to run that much. You know, I prefer to go hike and mm. wadi, but I don't know why. It's like always it's like I feel better with myself when I'm doing this hard stuff. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one, it will be in Masqat Marathon. And I did also half marathon also this okay, time cool. going for for full marathon. So that's yeah. Great. I'm keeping this as a small target for myself to keep me mm. in shape, to keep me active. I need a goal every time mm. to work for. Yes, it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. That's amazing. I mean, this conversation has has shown us that anything is possible as long as you're like determined and you can get there. You've got a goal. You just have to work for it. Do you think that this grit and this drive comes from within or have you learned it along the way? Because you started off with no sports. You didn't grow up with sports. You found the outdoors and the love for the mountains at a later stage in life. And Don and I can relate a little bit because we also started our sports quite late in life. We didn't do it as much. Don did a little bit. I didn't at all. So. What do you think, like this push and this drive that you have, do you think that you've always had it or it's something that you've learned? I think I learned this by myself. Yeah, I taught myself how to do this and I think I need it. I'm still doing this because I, I need it more than anything else. It's not just a race. It's myself. It's my, as you said, it's like to be committed with something. It's made me feel very relief and very, you know, comfortable. I have the choice to be in the race or not. And being in the race is more comfortable than just decided not to do it. If I say I'm not doing the race, I feel, oh my God, that's guilty. Like I'll blame myself and I, I want to do it because I, I don't want to feel that I give up. So mm -hmm. I want to keep moving. And I feel that's even my mental health. It's when I'm doing sport. 
and when I succeed in anything. I learned how to succeed in life through the, through my sport. And now I'm taking this through for my job, for my life, for other stuff. Yeah, the sport it teach me a lot how to stay strong, not to give up and to stay humble, to stay, you know, not to going, you know, with the material things, not to following, you know, that's, you know, I feel sad when I say this before Everest, before all this sport, after my job, I don't have anything to do. I just come back to home with totally nothing, no plans, just going out with my sisters, just going to the malls, looking for something to buy, to just spend money. And I feel how was like, how I was happy with that stuff. Now it will never feeling, I feel happy with just going for shopping. I think this is a trick. I don't know who say like women, they feel happy when they go shopping and spending money. This is not true. This is not true. Like, uh, so uh, now I can see there is many options for us to feel happy, not just to spend money and have more materials and have more stuff yeah. and just keep it in in home and cupboard and not to use it, even not to wear it. Like yeah, mm. every time and, and every time we'll keep looking for more, for something more expensive, for yeah. different colors, different shapes, different models, like, uh, and it's, uh, it will never give us happiness and it will, we will never learn from by buying stuff. Mm. So now I saw what makes me happy. I saw what improved my personality. I can say like, when I have to talk, when I have just to listen to other people, I'm a quiet now more than before. <laughs> Maybe because of mountains. When I go alone every time, like mostly every time I'm going to mountain alone. So I'm quiet every time, not talking. So now my sister says it with every year I'm going with mountains, I become more quiet, more calm. <laughs> with the time, I think you, you will be silent, like not talking. Is it? Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still, this is not the final shape, final personality. It is still coming with the, with Evolving. the time. Yeah, yeah. Still I absolutely yeah. love that. Just yeah. to the point you were just talking about shopping in particular, because I feel like very similarly before a caveat, I like to buy things for my bike. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably yeah. I do still for shop. my sport yeah, yeah. for sport but I'll it's mainly for stuff. sports yeah. but I feel like I could totally understand that because I'm like what did I ever do before I started riding a bike what was bringing me happiness Joy. I felt like I felt like I was trying to fill a hole maybe by buying mm -hmm. things or doing yeah. these other things but just having those experiences in nature and I grew up on an island but I spent some time in Chamonix and, I, and in France over the summer and I have spent a lot of time in France in the past in the mountains there's something just so magical, magical. yeah and mm -hmm. awe-inspiring about them so yeah you've had such an amazing journey like I've loved our chat if I listen to it again, who knows? I might think something put up on my Instagram and have someone tell me why, <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah. Which I love that. Yeah, everything you said is just so beautiful. Is there any last words, anything else we didn't cover that you'd like people to know about you or mountaineering that you could share before we sign off? We didn't mention that we lost Khaled Siabi. Yeah, before uh, the mm. the guy who inspired me. Mm. Yeah, that's it's end up after, you know, he works with me for the two years, the whole two years mm. before Everest. And um, actually he was a type of trainers or, you know, he was like pushing me 
to do all this stuff and he was like always he taught me how not to give up like you know mm -hmm. and what is different between the physical you know my my body and my mind and all this stuff i learned from him by he was like give me all these challenges every time and he always told me we'll do the street challenge so he created this he always asked me okay go just park your car and go back to your home by you know running because he wants me not to think to go back and give up and go back to my car so every time i park my car somewhere and come back running to my home and asking again someone to take me back to bring my car my brothers they say okay go run again and bring your car by, by yourself <laughs> <laughs> so so i learned a lot from him but mm -hmm. unfortunately before my summit i think it was two weeks he passed away here in um, in Oman and that was like um, it shakes me you know I was there and like I want to say it's not yet you know still I didn't summit I don't know if it's a good thing that I summited at the same day he summited before nine years so um, mm -hmm. and he summited on 23rd of May and also I summited on 23rd of May and he inspired me he helped me I summited with his helmet he gave me his wow. some of his stuff wow. And he said, you don't have to buy any other gears because I have it and I don't use it now. So I'm still using his helmet in all, like my climbs everywhere I go, it's the same one. And uh, I think- It's your lucky all, charm. Yeah, I always say I'm, I'm a grateful, I'm feeling very lucky, very, I don't know, it's like uh, I met him from the beginning and what's happening all the way until I climbed Everest. And the only thing that's, I was like, I wrote his name in a paper, white paper, and he said for Khalid Siabi memory. And yes, I think when I look into everything now, going back to the first time I met him and where I am now, I think it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a story. I think it's, um, it's our destiny. And that is make me to think always to say to people, listen to the message, listen to the people that you cross by, they give you something, they inspired you. Inspiration is not just feelings, it's acting also. You should act after your feeling. You felt something, then act. So that's, it will be reality. I think that's a, you know, beautiful tribute to, to leave here. So we thank you. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. much. Again, like loved our chat. Yeah, really. And yeah, I know I listened so yeah. well. Thank Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, Nadira. Thank you for taking thank the time. You. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.